David Nutt, a celebrated British psychiatrist and neuropsychopharmacologist, as well as as a distinguished researcher, had long been an advisor to, on drug policy to the British government when he published the results of a study of comparative drug harms in the Lancet in 2007. He was quickly fired. As in the United States, ignorant political hacks in the United Kingdom insists on demonizing relatively harmless substances that produce feelings of empathy, love, and compassion while they pickle their lives, livers, and single malt scotch. Scientists who dared to disagree publicly, even those at the pinnacle of their fields, risk professional suicide. Drug policy is still more politics than science, but thanks to courageous scientists and academics such as David Nutt, Andrew Whale, Charles Grob, Stanley Krippner, Rick Doblin, and many others who have openly discussed the powerfully healing potential of these substances and refuse to be intimidated into silence, prohibitions against research and clinical use are beginning to loosen. Change is coming, but it's achingly slow. Thousands of what can only be considered political prisoners still languish in prisons around the world. Convicted only of facilitating the use of substances our species has used to alleviate suffering and enrich consciousness for millennia. Fear of the healing and educational potential of psychedelics has begun to fade, partly because highly respected mainstream figures such as neurologist Oliver Sacks, Steve Jobs and Nobel laureates Francis Crick and Carrie Mollis have openly discussed the lasting value of their experiences with LSD, psilocybin, and other psychedelics. In 2015, at the largest professional gathering of psychiatrists in the world, the president of the American Psychiatric Association, Dr. Paul Summergrad, openly credited an early LSD trip with helping him decide to vote his life to the field of psychiatry. Foragers see the world as spiritually alive, welcoming, and generous. Farmers tend to see it as inanimate forbidding and reluctant. The gods of foragers are multiple, benevolent, and directly accessible by anyone. The god of farmers is solitary, angry, and jealous. Whatever minimal property foragers possess is to be shared without reservation. Agriculturalists are taught to hoard property and defend it to the death. While foragers tend to see one another as companions in mutually beneficial relationships, Farmers tend to view one another as rivals in a zero-sum situation. There are many ways to illuminate this difference between our timeless essence and our current predicament. In his cult classic Ishmael, for example, Daniel Quinn distinguished, quote, the leavers, unquote, from the takers. At the risk of sounding hopelessly Rosian, I suggest an equally clarifying polarity is love versus fear. In her classic book on death and dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross identified five stages of grief that most people seem to pass through when processing loss, whether it be the loss of a relationship, clo close friend, job, or life itself. Once you learn the stages, you'll start seeing them everywhere. Denial. The lab must have, been, must have made a mistake. 
Anger. Why me? This isn't fair. Bargaining. I promise I'll change. Depression. What's the point? I'm so tired. Acceptance. I can handle this. D-A-B-D-A. The acceptance stage is attained when fear is vanquished and love once again becomes a possibility. The earlier stages are all expressions of progressing panic focused on what's being lost rather than what remains or is being gained. Learning to accept the inevitability of what we fear most is the essential step on the path to a life worth living. Millennia of struggling against this uniquely human knowledge have transformed a relatively relaxed egalitarian primate into a beast that is often aggressive, frustrated, and fearful. We've gone from grasshopper to locust. Quote, in the end, fear casts out even a man's humanity, unquote, wrote Aldous Huxley, in Ape and Essence. Quote, and fear, my good friends, fear is the very basis and foundation of modern life, unquote. The narrative of perpetual progress is ubiquitous because it serves the purposes of a modern world built on fear. We learn to work toward everlasting life by praying to the right God, purchasing the right stuff, going to the right schools, taking the right supplements, doing the right exercises, and fighting for the right army. At the same time, we're reminded that it's a cruel world out there and that we're all helpless. We rush onward, trampling what's left of the garden, Fleeing inchoate, specters of hunger, abandonment, terrorism, economic collapse, police, criminals, nuclear meltdown, volcanic upheaval, asteroids, and death. Always death. The mysterious and much-needed power of psychedelics to help cast off the fear of dying may help us move toward a mature acceptance of what life actually offers and requires of us. This insight, so essential to living a life of authenticity and integrity, threatens the false narrative of civilization so deeply that for centuries, indigenous healers who used such substances have been condemned by the civilized as witches or heretics and burned alive. Even today, we condemn harmless teenagers to decades in cages because they bought magic mushrooms to a muddy concert. The mantra of the angry revolution of the 1960s was, quote, turn on, tune in, drop out, unquote. Hippies long since grown up and now growing old know that the revolution isn't about tearing down the world so much as protecting it and giving future generations even a long shot at survival. We need to take our wisdom where we find it that clearly includes psychedelics. It's not Turn on, tune in, and drop out. Anymore, Mrs. Dublin. It's turn on, tune in, and take over. But how real is this psychedelic worldview shared by foragers and freaks?